0: is good everyone listening watching however you're viewing or watching listening however welcome to the podcast i'm it's a pleasure uh to be on here on the business holics podcast this is my first podcast that i've been like requested like actually like reached out so shout out to eric and devin uh i came prepared with some stories that nobody's heard on the face of this earth so you guys are in for some stories, whether that be related to uh, really anything for YouTube business, I'm here for it. Strap in. If you're in a car, strap in. If you're in a chair, find a seatbelt and strap in because you're going to want to listen to this episode. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, sounds
1: great. Sounds great.
0: Pleasure having you. So so in preparation for this
2: episode, I was going on your Instagram and I was like looking around and I saw this post that you shared about how you had been doing track before. Actually, I didn't know that you've been doing track before and then you stopped doing track. you stopped doing track went to youtube which was something new can you explain like the sort of storyline
0: yeah so the post that you would saw was most likely if, if i'm recollecting this correctly it would have been a post about my year seven kind of closing the chapter of like the seventh year on youtube so um youtube i've been doing since 2014 consistently not consistently just posting just i wanted to make videos just like any 13 14 year old did back at the time you know i have fans now who are 13 and 14 years old which is weird to think about now but they're wanting to make videos just like i was when i was in their position and it's it's kind of weird how kind of like not the tables turn but like the tables turn where i used to be the guy who was making youtube videos who was in school doing my track stuff and i was the guy making videos on the internet because i was inspired by somebody else now um before I kind of go on with this, uh, when I kind of made that decision, this post, right, I mentioned it was y- like year seven was going on, but like year seven actually ended. I didn't realize that until I posted it. But regardless, the, uh, the, the decision to make was just a fork in the road. I hadn't felt like I'd gone 100% in on either or. So I had done my two years at a community college. I was going to jump. My original plan was I was going to jump uh, because that's what I did in track. I was a triple jumper, long jumper uh, in high school and throughout college. And uh, essentially, I was just at a fork of the road. I hadn't felt like I had done 100% in and, and either or. And I was originally going to transfer over to this school uh, down in Oregon, Eastern Oregon University one of the schools that actually looked at me as an athlete, uh, one of uh, a handful, uh, which was a pleasure and honor because out of high school, I only had one school look at me. So it was it was a pleasure and honor to, you know, be recognized for the efforts that I put in and off the track as an athlete, whether that be academically or whether, be, whether that be athletic. But when I was down there, I, I knew the ceiling for success as a YouTuber, as, somebody who wanted to create videos, but also do uh, athletics and be uh, somebody who excels in that sport. The ceiling was so limited in my mind. And I'm not one to like limit myself, but I knew that by not limiting myself, I was only limiting myself. So I kind of had to put on my realization mask and mask like goggles, how, you know, like (laughs) visualize like a pair of sunglasses, right? and you're looking at something in the distance, and you can see it clearly because you have sunglasses on, and that's basically what I was seeing. I was seeing the reality of what would it be like if I had continued down this path, and what would it be like if I continued down a path that I maybe didn't know exactly what this road was going to look like, in YouTube, that is, but down this one path that I had done for so long, done athletics, been successful throughout high school, came out with a state title around my belt, though there's no belt it's just a necklace it's a medal (laughs) regardless you know I had been successful in my own right and again it was just one of those things where I was just playing a balancing act you know just like any high schooler is when they're doing homework and they're doing you know athletics and they you know have a job they're balancing just like any college student you know they're trying to make ends meet for this month they're you know trying to get good grades they're trying to do this that right scholarships and when it came to YouTube everything that I just didn't really like about college. I was a successful, you know, high school student, 3.8 GPA. You know, I took like the hardest classes I could because I wanted to. And I was that type of kid, you know, I was, a, I was a kid that did everything because he wanted to, not because he had to. And that post, uh, it was one of those ones where it was my thoughts. It was my message to the world my audience, that is, maybe not to the world, but hopefully one day that message is to the world to to go confidently in the direction of your dream. And it's really funny because I say that because my calculus teacher that I had for junior year and senior year of high school she gave me this little token, this you know, you know- not like uh, not amulets, but like this little little keychain. And she gave it to me when we graduated high school and I'd put it on my keychain. I'd put it on my lanyard and, 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 you know, drove around to, you know, various places, you know, when I would, and I would, it was always with me. I didn't really look at the message as much, you know, I thought it was cool, but then there was a point where I was at the fork in the road and I didn't know how much that line, that quote, meant to me until I was at the fork in the road until I had to make a drastic decision again. And so that post is one of those ones where I just decided to leave one side of me completely in the ditch, not physically, but (laughs) metaphorically, you know, leave it by the wayside and kind of say goodbye to that chapter and finally go in on something that I've been so passionate about for seven years. Years at the time, and it was just one of those ones. And I know I'm kind of talking a lot about it, but I think it's important, and I think it's a good opener to really hit home on this message of this of this podcast episode and and who I am, because that's the message that I want to spread: is to go confidently in the direction of your dreams. And I think there was no better example in my life that is than saying. I'm not doing track anymore. I'm not doing what people expected of me. I'm doing what I wanted to do because I wanted to do it, not because I had to. And so the kind of book in that whole story of calculus and, you know, doing the harder classes because I have or want to not have to, it was the same exact message as it was when I was at the fork in the road. I wanted to make the decision that I wanted to, not because I had to. And so it was one of those decisions that, you know, I imagine a lot of people have to make in their lifetime, especially when they're retiring, you know, like, do I play another year? Do I, can I, am I able to play three more years? My body able to do that? My mental state able to do that? You know, whatever that looks like, you know, we're all going to make tough decisions in life. And for me, I've, I've had a, a multitude throughout my life and I'm only 20 years old. So Um, I hope that kind of encompasses that message for anybody who didn't, uh, didn't know about this prior to, um, so really what you're saying is
1: like, you chose to live for yourself, not living to please others
0: in a way, in a way. Yeah. I mean, I think I would have still been happy if I had chose track, you know, but I knew there was a lot more people that I'm able to leave a, a mark on, uh, an impact that is. You um, yeah, you
1: saw you could do more through YouTube.
0: Yeah, I saw I saw the ceiling a lot higher when I chose to do YouTube because track as an athlete, I wasn't like excel excelling. You know, like I would have done good. Like it would have been one of those things that I would have told my kids, like yeah, like I did good. You know, and you you know your old high school mates, are like yeah, this guy named Jared, you know, blah blah blah. It's like one of those, you know, it's like, it's not like I'm going to go to the Olympics and go like get a gold medal, you know, in, in my first year there, it's the ceiling there was so high. And on YouTube, I, I know the ceiling is endless in a way, you know, and that's ceiling is only set by your standards and your work effort and, and your understanding and your education on this, on these topics and your education on, the, the behind the scenes stuff that are the important metrics and, you know, delivering stories and doing this, that, and all that. And that's what I love. I like, I'm the type of guy because I was a leadership kid. I was like the, the I was like the guy, uh, I was the president in high school. I was the ASU president. I was the vice president. And when I was vice president, when I wasn't really in like the most leadership role, I wanted to know everything. And when I knew everything, I knew I had a good foundation for when I knew I was going to be more of the priority, the, the go-to, you know, I I wanted to know all the names of the custodians, the cooks. I wanted to know what systems are in place and what we could do and what we can't do. And even if it applied to me or not. And so with YouTube, that same knowledge kind of applied, if that makes sense. I just want to know everything. (laughs) And as crazy as it sounds, I just like, I really enjoy learning things that I just have no realm or no, uh, how would you say it? Like, I have I have no means to ever go and know that, but I want to know it because you never know if somebody else has that question. <laughs>
3: so,
0: yeah, it was one of those decisions that, you know, I just wanted to because I, I knew the ceiling was a lot higher with YouTube.
1: Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I, I know, like, for the podcast, you know, we feel like we can have, like, an impact on a lot of people as well. We got this... DM'd the other day, and it was just some person from Argentina. They were like, "Oh yeah, you know this business hogs podcast. Like, I'm so glad I found this. You know, I will to this whenever I'm like binging this whenever I'm cooking. Like, you know, whenever I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And it's just has such an impact on me because of you know just hearing these people's stories, things like that. So it's like I, I feel like it's really cool to see the impact, and it like pushes you to keep striving forward and like keep going, I guess, so to say.
0: Yeah, and I think the one thing about YouTube is you could always get better. Like always, there's always a better font. Like yeah, you with can every use, single video subtitle. you
1: make, you get better.
0: Right. Yeah. There's always just one little inch that you can improve on, and you continue to improve on it. And you just don't know if we're if we're climbing Mount Everest or we're or we're like climbing to Jupiter. You know, like we have no idea where we're yeah. climbing to, but you, you just know that. You like, ever go back to your yeah, first I video
1: said. and you're you just look at how much progress you've made since then? Because I know, like me, Dev and I, we we watched our first episode I think the other week and then we were like oh my god I can't believe we sound like that and then yeah and then you just keep going and then you're like look where we are now and then six months in the future we're no we're, we know we're going to be that much better and then another six months in the future we know we're going to be that much better like
0: 100 yeah. mm-hmm. and I and I feel and I don't mean to interrupt it's one of those things because back then six months ago eight years ago you know however far it goes back for from the beginning of your journey, you, were, you thought you made the best thing ever. And then come to oh, find yeah. out. Uh-huh. I thought episode one was the, later, best, the best thing in the world. Yeah. It's, it was so it's, bad. It's phenomenal how it works.
2: <laughs> it was terrible. I, we, I remember Eric and I had this one. Like, we were just like on the phone one day. We were like, oh, you know what? Let's check out our first episode. And Eric started to play. And I was just like, shut it off. Shut it off. I like, I don't want to hear it. It was, it was so. <laughs> no, like, at
1: the time, though, I had thought that time, was like yeah. the best thing I've ever heard. We were ever. I was like, yo, we're making a big in the podcast industry after this
2: episode. I still remember filming it. I, was, I thought it was so great. And then you look back and you're just like, wow, that was like. And I remember a lot of the YouTubers that I watch too do like the same thing, like looking at like, like, reacting to my first video, like, reacting to a video from a year ago or whatever. And it's just them like laughing at their old selves because it's just like, right? It's funny to see like the reflection <laughs> and like how you've grown and changed and how you have a whole new sense of awareness.
0: Yeah. And I think. <laughs> And I think you just grow as a person throughout the process, you know, managing things that, you know, are behind the scenes, managing things on camera, you know, you get a, you become a better talker by doing certain things. You become a better producer. if That's your job, you know, and you you just understand more and more about yourself and what you're capable of. And I think it's a powerful thing.
2: No, for sure. I completely agree. I also want to know too, you said you made, uh YouTube videos before I remember we were talking about this before you started filming that you made YouTube videos before you started taking YouTube like seriously as a career. So, yeah. What yeah. kind of videos did you used to make?
0: So, I guess I'll kind of pinpoint the time when I kind of took it seriously. So, it was it's pretty much like last year last June, June 4th was the day that I made the announcement. I believe so. Um, June 4th or 6th, it's one of those two days. I just like put out a video like Making the biggest decision of my life, that was when I kind of was at the fork of the road, made my final decision, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And i harping back on what we talked about earlier. But um, the videos that I – so my first video was a GTA Five video. Um, it, I made like the thumbnail on my phone, my iPod at the time, wow. and I like – I recorded on an iPad. It took like 36 hours to upload onto YouTube. <laughs> And it was a nightmare. It was just honestly a nightmare. And like the video, like it's super fun to watch back. You know, like I watch it back here and there. Like you guys mentioned yours, but the the content kind of circulated between gaming, and then like a year in, it was vlog type. And I did like 108, basically two years. I think I did like a hundred, like 27 straight Sundays in a Jeez. row. Today. of just vlogs and that was just what i did i just continuously did vlogs every sunday for two and a half years and you know I, I i looked up to Vanoss gaming at the time i looked up to roman atwood i looked up to casey Neistat growing up and just always kind of wanted to push the needle further as me as a creator but i think the one thing when it comes down to being a creator and i and i have to attribute a lot of my um knowledge and and wealth um is just understanding of YouTube to uh, Airac and a lot of his team at Creator Now, the the program that I've been a part of for the past three seasons, as well as just other stuff, you know, like when you kind of become a little bit more aware about these uh, tools and metrics and things to look for and thumbnails and titles and how you're coming up with ideas and basically the entire bubble of YouTube, you become a lot more aware of like what you've been doing wrong and you kind of just like minorly correct it over time you know, it's like think about it like a, an injury, right? You know, you have like an injury uh, in your ankle. You know, you're not going to be at full speed. You're not going to be at full health right away after the injury. You know, it takes time to recover. You know, you're making little adjustments, strengthening it. I know I'm kind of talking about athletics, but it's that kind of same philosophy just because you, you build a little bit more foundation, you build a little bit more resistance to a lot of the things that you're doing wrong. And, like, especially, like, if it's, like, an adjustment in your shoulder and, you know, you've been, like, slouching for the past, like, two years, you know, it's going to take time to bring the shoulders back, you know. And so it's one of those things that just takes little minor corrections over time and a little bit more realization that you are doing things maybe not the best way, not wrong, but you're not optimizing it for the best potential. And that journey through gaming, through vlogs, And the mix of both on like the same channel, it's it's a recipe for disaster if you're asking me. Um, It's not something that at least like the YouTube algorithm likes, um, but certainly it's something that I imagine maybe exists on a different planet. (laughs) Who knows?
2: No, I I get that especially because I remember when we uh, when we had started the business talks and stuff, and Eric started posting on Instagram for the first time on our account. Uh, I was pretty like, I was pretty clueless about like the function of hashtags, for example. Okay. Like I knew what they were just from like social media memes and like things like that, but like I'd actually understood like I'd actually understand how they worked, and I was like, why are we putting hashtags? And so then yeah, I kind of like started researching into that a little bit more, and just like I think that also comes like just like development of like your content as a whole. Like I feel like as you start to make new content in a specific niche, that you start to understand that area better, and you can sort of like optimize your performance in that area if that makes sense
0: yeah 100 percent. because you know you become a master at the craft you know like Mm -hmm. what i like to say you know i'm gonna bring it back to sports because sports does mean a lot to me and and it's it's where i've kind of carved my my uh my mount rushmore as a human right and sports especially like triple jump and long jump it's one of those things that you master over time you know like anybody could run the 100 meter dash and somewhat be good at it but then there's that level where there's like a threshold where you kind of actually need to know a little bit more than just like sprinting and running and so it's like think about it where the boys become men it's like that line it's like okay like are we taking it you know like just for fun or are we taking it seriously and it's one of those things you just learn over time and optimize and and, uh, routinely you condition yourself to just know like oh like this is the way like i i could diagnose this issue i know how to get it or i know what i'm looking for i know how to you know go out and get it with a hashtag or a post or like a, a comment or anything of that you know you just learn and learn and learn and learn and it, that's the beauty of content creation because you just learn and that's the greatest thing anybody could ever have in their back pocket is the ability to just learn whether that be through talking and practice or whether that be through listening and observing. It's the best thing in life.
2: So then, how did you know that you wanted to go into YouTube and like take it more seriously, especially if you had been sort of eyeing track or you've been doing track for a while before and you had the opportunity to go to a different college? What made you choose YouTube?
0: Great question. I kind of I hinted at it a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. The one main thing, uh, it was more of a deterrent from track than it was like a pull towards YouTube, if that makes sense. Um, when I did, so Eastern Oregon University is in like the little, little, I, I don't even know, I, nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. There, I do DoorDash as my main income um, as of right now. Um, I also uh, do a lot of Twitch live streaming, that's also a pretty good income and youtube you know soon to be this year but the one thing was i wasn't going to be able to do doordash streaming was going to be very minimal and excuse me my my income was cut off that was simply it like if my income was cut off there was different ways that i might be able to do income but then that took time from the things that i really wanted to do um and I I had gone down for a visit down to Eastern Oregon University. The coach had uh, set me up with one of the radio uh, people that runs a lot of like the TV, TV stuff for the, the college and um, a lot of the radio for the college. And it was it was something that, I you know, like I interest me, like radio stuff, broadcasting stuff, because um, it was still in my realm. You know, it wasn't like I went from like, like content creation to like being a barista, you know, like I didn't yes. like just totally flip flop, but. Um i'd gone down there I'd gone down there for a visit it It was a great visit, regardless, but the one main thing it was just because the financial like and and I knew that like i wasn't going to be able to do the videos that I wanted to do and really wanted to like excel in like i wouldn't be able to feed the entire homeless population in my city in spokane if I'd gone down to eastern oregon university like it is just not possible like I wouldn't have any money to do that um as well as probably enough backing from a lot of the supporters and it was just one of those things like i i've done a lot of videos and like the videos that i made within the past six months i'm just super proud of and it's one of those things especially when you have a group of close creators in your circle uh it's it's nice because you learn from others mistakes you learn from others uh successes and you can apply it in your own way and that's the one thing, like, I, like track is, uh, it, it's a team sport, but you also compete as an individual, and, you know, the environment's always nice, the workouts are always nice, uh, at least in my opinion, but it was just the, the pull, um, the deterrent from track, you know, I knew that the ceiling, again, this is kind of the hinting back, the ceiling for track was so small. It was, so, it was just so small compared to the the, the ceiling of, of YouTube, you know, and I uh, I didn't know what the light at the end of the tunnel, I didn't know how far it was, I didn't know what it looked like, but uh, I kind of knew what it looked like for track and it was just one of those things, I put on my sunglasses and looked at the end of the road and realized, damn, I see what I'm in for. So then I just took the glasses off and went for something that I that I hoped and dreamed of. You know, I'd, I'd watch Roman Atwood, um, for years. And, you know, when he gets like a whole bunch of PO box gifts for Christmas. And when Casey Neistat opens up boxes that fans gave him, I'm like, damn, that is so cool. I'm like the kid in, uh, you know, I'm the, I'm the five-year-old kid at like a hockey game, just watching all the professionals skate around. I'm like, wow, that's me, but I'm 15, 16 and 17 years old. <laughs> Yeah. looking at YouTubers. Do <laughs> you realize like the
4: community you stuff. could build, I guess, like how big of an industry yeah. YouTube is and how many successful people come out of it?
0: Yeah. I, I, I think I, I, I realized early on that the pool of successful people is small compared to the amount of people that are in it, is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Spokane and relativity is like, I'm a large fish in a small pond. A lot of these creators are big fish in a very, very, very large pond. You know what I mean? So the compare and contrast of that Chai Square is, like, it, it's one of those things that I knew that I was, again, that ceiling. Like, I knew what I could, I'm could i capable of because other people have done it. But am I capable of doing that? And that was the challenge that I really wanted to embark on as a creator because I don't know what that looks like. Because if you never start, you'll never know.
4: Start, I you'll never know. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I, it's one of those kind of mentalities, you know? Like, if I don't put my – on the gas, I don't know how far I could go, right? yeah, like
4: that Wayne Gretzky quote you miss one hundred one hundred percent of the shots you never take
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yeah as, as, always as, as cliche as it is it is true <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of that's kind of the main reason why I didn't go towards track just because I knew the there was there was brighter pastures on the other side
2: and then about your content too, I was watching some of your content, and I was like. I saw the video titles, and I was like, this kind of reminds me of, like, Mr. Beast stuff. And then I clicked on a video, and I think it was, like, you sending your, uh, like, your subscribers to the moon. And you mentioned Mr. Beast in there, and I was like, oh, that's kind of funny.
0: Yeah, so that's an old video. That wasn't even, like, I I don't even think that's, like, a great video, but I appreciate you watching it. (laughs) Um, It was one of those things, like, I I just, I've always been an ambitious person. I've always just kind of done things because I really enjoyed them. Like I don't do a video idea unless I enjoy it, you know? It's one of those things, like if you don't enjoy working, you know, as an engineer or like as a marketing agent, you know? you don't enjoy that, like, why do it, right? So, like, yeah. like, the same thing kind of applies to a lot of YouTube, you know? And I'm sure you guys know. If you didn't enjoy doing podcasts, you wouldn't be doing yeah, podcasts. Like, I, don't, I don't know. Right? I've
4: looked at some of your videos. i looked at some of these videos. I'm like, how do you enjoy this? Like, I, I looked at the video title. It was where you listen to the same song for 24 hours. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> what a great video what a great video <laughs> my goodness the video itself isn't like super great because you know you learn you you learn and you uh optimize mm-hmm. and you adapt right and that was over a year ago right but regardless like i i mean like i i let it go let it go like i listened to it for <laughs> 34 hours straight oh god out of all I mean, songs i mean wait, you
2: listen like, to let it go
4: oh my
0: god yeah well it was, it was right before christmas i was like come, on, what about if i do like, this song. That's, like, an extra hard challenge. That
4: sounds terrible.
0: Yeah, it's, like, the extreme. Like, put a little asterisk extreme. I also, like, I, I'd taken a whole bunch of videos down, but I had also had a video that did, like, 700 views. Just, like, one of those ones that, like, hit up in the algorithm, like, a year late because of, like, Christmas. It was, I listened to Mariah Carey's um, All I Want for Christmas Is You for 24 uh-huh. hours straight. And then well, that's that doesn't sound as bad. That doesn't sound That, yeah, that's that doesn't sound <sighs> I I I would probably put like let it go at like a nine point five scale. I'd probably put Mariah at like an eight point seven. You know, they're both not the greatest songs to listen to, but if I had to choose, I'd probably choose Mariah because at least at least both songs at the beginning have like a twenty second intro that's just like super like boring, and I'm like, okay, this is my time to breathe, I'm able to just like chill out and hear myself think. <laughs> Oh man. But you know, you, you learn and adapt. And I, I mean, I imagine I'll probably do that video maybe for like a week or something, you know,
4: you sound like someone who would do like one of those videos where it's, I stayed up for 72 hours straight challenge. Because that sounds like something you would do.
0: Is it so funny? Is it so funny to like, did you say stay up as in like stay awake?
4: Yeah. For 72 hours straight.
0: Let me, let me explain this to you. So I just uploaded a video today, Uh uh, less than three hours ago. Um, I know this is going to be out in the future, but regardless, Sorry if I spoiled this for anybody, uh, um, but at least on my YouTube channel, I uploaded a video today um, less than three hours ago, at least when we're recording this um, titled I made a Colin and Samir a coloring book. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the video. And I, um, I won't spoil how I made the video, but I edited that. I started editing that at like 4 p.m. yesterday and then I finished editing it at like 10 a.m today Jeez. like i've been just editing straight that entire video from start to finish
4: it takes that um, long i'd, Jeez, I'd that is... also
0: i'd also been up since 11 a.m since yesterday so i've been up for more than 24 hours um what would be the turn 24 25 6 7 8 28 hours so far <laughs> <laughs> we're here on the podcast baby well, honestly i feel so like.
4: Well, yeah, I don't know. It makes it because I feel like the the downside of being a content creator, it's like a twenty four seven job. Like, there's always a deadline you have to hit. Oh yeah, you have to edit this. You got to get this out now. There's a post I have to hit. Yeah. There's been uh, this update that just came out. Oh, I have to talk about this. You know, it's like it's never ending. I guess, and you really have to love yeah. it. That's what I've seen.
0: You're in a you're in a revolving door of information and of content. There's yeah, always something to like do. It's con- like a
4: never ending to do list.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's one of those things, especially if you're, you know, very, very focused and hyper focused on one thing, you know, it, 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 it just, it feels like a fire hydrant, you know, right in your face. And that's, you know, <laughs> that's like the beauty of being a content creator. Like, it honestly, yeah, is. honestly I love like, it.
4: Like spending 10 hours great. doing this podcast is so much better than just spending 10 hours doing physics problems. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> Yeah, And
0: I think the beauty without going to school, you know, shout out to all the people who are in school currently. My sister's a high school student, and, like, watching her do homework, I'm like, man, I do not miss that. But, you know, (laughs) at the same time, like, I'm still doing my homework. When I'm doing different things, I want to make sure I'm I'm up to date on these different stories and, and things to talk about and new updates when it comes to YouTube and all these different platforms. And I just... You know, I'm doing my homework as well, but I'm not turning it in for an assignment. I'm turning it into a video and my grade (laughs) is how well that video does. So,
4: Yeah, on YouTube, I've especially seen of like vlogs and stuff. I know that if you look at a vlog by someone that's made like three, four years ago or something, and then you go to a vlog they made like yesterday, something like that. I think the biggest thing that really improves through YouTube is storytelling skills. I I think that's like the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. YouTube, uh, I think is gonna be one of the biggest storytelling platforms if it isn't already, you know. Uh it's gonna be one of the places where people are gonna like hyper focus on stories. Um and I and, and I don't mean stories as like Instagram stories. <laughs> I don't mean it by that by any means <laughs> for anyone listening. Yeah. Just to clarify. It it's one of those things, you know, in, in ingrained in the contents, you know, and learning like different things about story writing and Uh, storytelling and how to convey that and modes and transfer uh transportations to make that process you know available for people to understand and how to do that and i would i wasn't i would admit like i was not a great english student in high school i wasn't like the i wasn't like somebody who was like getting a's on every single poem that we wrote you know like i was i was satisfied with like a b if if that it was just one of those things i just wasn't great at or like more or less like i we took literature. I took literature my senior year of high school, and we would go through different types of things of like, what does this passage mean? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just have no, have no clue. And it's like these different motifs and different uh, themes that kind of, uh, you know, transform itself throughout these paragraphs. And I'm just like, frick, I have no idea. But it was one of those things I would English was my worst subject compared to all the other ones. and Now, I'll I'll never forget it. My dad said this to me. He's like, no matter what, no matter what subject you're good at or bad at, if there's one subject that you're going to use every single day of your life, it's English. You know, no matter if you're typing, no matter if you're writing, no matter if you're listening, no matter if you're speaking, you're always using English in some way, some fashion. And it's weird because it's so true. And when I kind of felt that philosophy, or at least that message, Um, upon me I was like you know what like why not just get good you know like I was always good at public speaking there I had strengths in English right I had strengths within the English barrier the the (laughs) content subject I was I was good at certain things right I was good at like you know script writing I was good at that you know I was I was good at like writing things I wasn't good at diagnosing things so when it became like becoming a YouTuber and going through like creator now and a program that I think a lot of people should join if you guys have the, the money to $250, literally the kickstart your, your YouTube channel. Literally, literally, literally. but regardless, literally. Um, I had like gone through uh, Eric's course through season three and I was just like, damn, like storytelling, storytelling, storytelling. And uh, it was just one of those things that we kind of like uh, hid under the rug almost, you know, but it was one of those things that we kept kind of coming back to in a way and I like, if you're ever wanting to learn anything about story writing, listen to The Closer Look. They do a lot of video essays talking about uh, movies, talking about TV shows, talking about things in these stories that are done well, done really bad, and why. And it's great. I learned so much from it, you know, from story writing, from character building, from hero arcs to villain arcs, from Um, the hero's journey to the wants and needs, the dread, and so much stuff that you could just apply into YouTube videos in such a subtle manner that just goes over people's heads because it's just entertaining. And I don't want to take away from anybody who does this super well or even my content, but there's always like a reason. When you know a lot of these things, there's always a reason why people do this. There's a reason why people put these little bits in. There's always a reason. But the one thing that bad storytellers do is unmotivated reason. and so harping on youtube i'll put this in youtube terms so like let's say like you're watching your favorite youtube channel let's say it's a vlog channel right mm-hmm. they start doing like a uh like boat reviews like what's <laughs> like what like they're doing general vlogs like at the mall shopping u-haul or not u-hauls but like clothing hauls, and they start doing boat reviews right unmotivated reason like what's the reason for that you know if there was like a strong stenuated, like fade between the two i'd understand but it's like that's the one thing bad storytellers do is unmotivated wants and needs and reasons for them so if you're ever storytelling you know if you're ever storytelling by any means understand that wants and needs are the biggest thing that you could ever have in your story because it creates so much stuff off of it, it's like the trunk of the tree, right? I'll I'll say it as that because there's different branches, different leaves, etc. I don't know where yeah. it all stem from, but I just I, I, I feel like I needed to say it because I think it's a super important, especially when it comes to YouTube.
4: Yeah, I think as a content creator, you 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 have to make your life as a series of stories. So to say, do you get what I'm saying here? Like where every single thing in your life, you're trying to make your life a story. And then that way you can tell it on a podcast. You can tell it on YouTube, things like that. Do you, do you see that?
0: Yeah. 100%. I mean, we can look at, so I think Logan Paul is one of the greatest people uh, to look at, you know, in his hero's journey, you know, from being the, the cocky jock blogger, his term, not mine. (laughs) <laughs> from, you know, the, the down point of Japan and that entire, you know, like five months after that, and then getting his kind of like second chance almost with the fight, you know, and that building up and his redemption arc as a as a story, you know, when you build that, and you, you know, he's got like a podcast that he's able to hear and you're able to see Logan for who he is and not what he just conveys in a blog. There's just so much between that. I mean, he's a phenomenal storyteller. I think, I think Logan Paul is one of the more overarching storytellers that does it really well. I think Casey Neistat is one of the greatest storytellers that does it within segments and just like one little thing after another that build up into his story arc. But you don't really realize it until you put the pieces together. Yeah. Um, just incredible, you know, creators that do this super, super well.
2: I remember specifically watching uh, one of his videos, and he was just, like, "He now he doesn't upload as much as he used to." So it was one of those videos, where like, he hadn't uploaded in a while, I think. And so I watched it, and it was like a short video about like, I don't know if you've seen it, but have you watched like the video? It's about like his soap problem. Yes. It was that video, and then um, I was watching it. And so and then after that, I was like it was kind of cool. So I started watching like more of his stuff, just like you know, I didn't watch him in a while, uh, and I was looking back in some of his old videos, like when he was in New York and everything. Yeah. And then I, you, like, you see how he progressed. Like he started telling his story. There's one video where he was telling a story of like how he wanted to just like, you know, film YouTube videos. And then he had his kid and then he was with his brother on the couch. And then he was like, you know, all around New York. And then he got married and he had the kids and then he goes to LA. And like, it's like a whole thing. Like when you just like put it all into perspective.
0: Yeah. It's it's cool. That's it's so cool. Great. It's just like, I mean, like Harry Potter, we get to see Harry Potter as a little kid and, you know, we get to see Sweet Life of Zack and Cody is when they're like, 10, you know, up until they're like 16, 17, you know, we kind of get to grow up with them in a way, you know, Um, it's, it's just really cool to kind of see the the progression of actors in real life, artists in real life, you know, beyond the YouTube uh, scope. I think storytelling, whether we know it or not, is the most powerful thing that we have in our utility. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, and I enjoy learning about it because like I said I was not a great diagnoser but I was a great conveyor that makes mm-hmm. sense yeah
2: it's like I feel like storytelling is what can like unite everyone to her because like, you know everyone loves a good story and so you yeah. know everyone I feel like everyone can relate to seeing like a character arc or, like overarching whoever maybe like you said like Logan Paul Casey Neistat whoever even maybe even like on a tv show were the actors yeah. playing the character on the tv show
1: Everybody well i think that's why show. all these
4: stories in movies and things like that like underdog stories are so successful as movies and they make so much profit
0: yeah it's i think it, it, it's wild to you know to think <laughs> but it's true
2: do you have your underdog stories too from and like, stuff
0: yeah um my underdog story basically starts from when I got in high school. Um, this story um, has a little bit of uh, exposition, uh, a prologue, as some might say. <laughs> but um, junior or not junior, seventh grade uh, and eighth grade, I did middle school track, but I also did club track. Club track is very similar to like doing soccer in high school, but then doing club track in you know high school. You're trouble. So. Yeah, you travel. You know, you could you compete on a rather competitive team. Uh, that's like what club track is, and club track only happens during the summer, and uh, because it happens after your season, um, because there's a lot of high schoolers, a lot of you know younger age kids who are just coming out of school and you know going straight to track practice, or middle schoolers who are going straight from school straight to track practice. And um, I done club track. Uh, I done decently well my seventh grade year in high school or in i'd done really well throughout my uh actual like middle school years i'd done really well but what i did um was club track as well and i'd done well my seventh grade year but then it was a transition between eighth to ninth grade excuse me and the prologue of this was uh, in short I went to the Junior Olympics, which is like the the grand stage of what you could do on club track, and it was in Jacksonville, Florida. I was seated fifth, or I was seated sixth. I was seated sixth, and I came sixth, so I was top eight out of the entire nation for my age group, and I mean, it's an honor. It was super cool. I still have the hat that they gave me. I still have all the medals, of course, because who would want to throw that medal away, right? It's one of those things that you just cherish. So, Where the story starts, chapter one, right? A ninth grade year. Um, I'm 5'9". I was not 5'9 at the time. I was super small. I probably weighed like 125, if that. And I was a super scrawny kid, but had a lot of confidence in himself. Maybe arrogance, probably not. That sounded arrogant to say. But it's one of those things like I, I had a lot of confidence in myself. And that's the and that's the thing that drove me, you know, uh to the end of the story, but we'll get into that in a sec. Ninth grade year, I go in, I I'm the, you know, the freshman. I'm like the oh like, oh my gosh, this guy, you know, he jumps this, he's only a freshman, right? So essentially my first jump, I'd always wanted to beat the freshman triple jump record that I got into high school. It was thirty nine eleven. My very first jump in high school was forty feet exactly. <laughs> so I basically broke the the freshman triple jump record. My very first attempt, my very first jump, with like two days of practice, and it was I'm like, great, this is freaking awesome, um, and not to mention, I think there's somebody that plays an important role as a mentor, um, Coach Sully, Tyler Sullivan. I just call him Sully because that's that's what we, I I gave I coined him that name, and then we just stuck with it for the rest of my career in high school. So slowly my coach, um, he was my jumps coach. He was new that year. He was unpaid that year, but we, as we head throughout the season, I can't, I can't seem to break 40 feet other, you know, any other time. My, yeah, my freshman year, we're heading into districts. I'm seated fourth out of the entire district, but the top three are seniors and everyone behind me is relatively close. I think there was one, I think fifth place was relatively close and like a distance, and then everyone else was kind of fiddled out after that. But it was top 12 at the time. Um, and it was freshman triple jump districts. It was freshman districts. I was at the time 15 years old. Not even that. Yes, yeah, so I was 15 years old. I'm going to get up against the against people who are like 18 at the time because I, I was born in June. So I was always super young. Um, oh, how did I 15? I got to do the math real fast. Um, yeah, I think I was, I actually know how old I was. Um, I graduated high school at 17. So that my junior year would have been 16. My sophomore year, I was 14. I was 14 at the time, but man, did I have a freaking! Wolf of a chihuahua, you know? I, I had the might of a, a small dog against the, a lion, right? I'm like up against people who are four years older than I was and jumped a lot further than I was. But how the story goes, this is only part of the underdog story because I'll, I'll kind of skim through sophomore, junior year a little bit. It's a little unimportant. But the underdog side of this story, of this first segment, was eight go to finals. I didn't have a great first three jumps. So I ended up eight out of 12 and luckily I made it to finals. But the one thing I was the very first person to jump in finals and I had jumped great. My fourth and fifth jump, but I laid it out on the line on my, on my final jump, my sixth and final jump with a jump of 42, one, which is still the freshman triple jump record to this day. I'm still honored by it because I know it's probably going to get broken one day. Regardless, it was one of those things as a 14-year-old who was going first in finals on the last jump to then go out there and jump 42-1, which was the leading mark at the time, and then to watch seven other people jump in hope that they do not beat your distance. I can probably say that I did win that meet as a freshman. You know, it was it was kind of like a good almost cap to the season because I didn't do well at regionals, but regardless, it was it was a great way to cap off a freshman season in a way. Because like, you know, you won something that was memorable and you won in a way that was, you know, unforeseeable. You know, and I just visualized that entire me over and over that entire week. I'm like, just running down the track, just boom, boom, boom. Dang. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You know, and just like visualizing it, visualizing myself at the end of the runway, running down. Sophomore year, I was setting out to beat the sophomore uh, triple jump record, didn't end up getting it. Kind of had a tough, uh, tough year that year. We're heading to junior year. Halfway through the season, I'm still not actually hitting any of the marks that I would like to, but it was one of those things that me and my coach, you know, always had said, like, if we could improve on one thing each meet, we've won the meet. It doesn't matter if we've actually won the meet or not. And over time, when you do 20 meets over the course of two seasons, if if not more, it was one of those things, you know, you get your foot in the door as a freshman going to the biggest invite meet in the in the western of the rockies you know you get invited to that because you have marks that actually qualify you to go there as a freshman it's it's dope and you continue to go because you've hit these marks continually and it it's cool and but the frustrating part you know as an athlete is you always just want to get better you know and you always just want to get better and usually the better metric is your personal best and when it came down to it it was one of these meets at central valley which is a school nearby that we were competing at I finally broke my my record of 42 one it was you know 43 four and a half you know at this point and I was like okay finally broke it you know it finally busted through that wall and I'm like now we're here cool 44 feet now baby let's go and I then eventually um end off that season and this is where the real underdog story comes comes into it and it's one of those ones that it, it's just a re- re- revenge tour in a way said kindly right I, I mean it in the most kindest way possible. I feel like I'm a kind person, but man, let me tell you what happened my junior year. So I was at regionals. to book my ticket to state. I had bumped down from fourth to fifth. Um, and it was one of those ones that uh, you need to get top four um, to be in, you know, to go to state. And I got bumped down from fourth to fifth. And I then take a fifth jump I had uh, not scratched but they called it a scratch and then my sixth jump um, my so my fifth jump would have won the meet my sixth jump would was a scratch but it was by a quarter inch quarter inch and Ugh. we're talking in track everything is not even a quarter inch it's like a centimeter at times and I got kind of screwed out because I would have won the meet on a jump that they called a foul. Um, and we had the footage to like review it, but they didn't take any camera reviews um, because it could have been any jump, you know, mm-hmm. and it, as unfortunate as it was, um, I, you know, still walked home with my head held high, hoping for the best when it comes to my senior year. And, you know, I was still proud that I broke broken my PR. I didn't break the um, junior triple jump record, but, The underdog story coming into my um, senior year, because my junior year, I I had a grade three sprain in December and our season started in February. And I was not up to health by any means throughout that entire season. Um, I was barely making it through regionals um, because my ankle hurt so bad the entire season. So we come down to uh, senior year and we start the season in two weeks. It's February twelfth. Um, I have jumper's knee. If you don't know what jumper's knee, it's Osgen Slaughter's. Uh jumper's knee is just like the, you know, you know, easy term for people. But Osgen Slaughter is a thing where your quad is super tight, so it's pulling on the pulling on a tendon right in front of your knee that runs down like your bone. And so it really like pops out and bulges because it's swelled. And it hurts to jump on it, hurts to walk on. Um, like any impact on it is like a nightmare. Um And uh, yeah, I mean, we're two weeks out of the season. I have this like somewhat of an injury and, you know, like I am texting my coach, like I I don't know if I'm able to compete this upcoming week because we had like a meet before the season. And it was one of those things, like I just continued to do the things that I needed to do to get this thing off of me and out of me, whatever it was, I was going to do it to, you know, help my body. So we go into the season and for me, this was just like heads down, like it was like Mamba mentality almost, right? It was just like you've pissed me off, track world, even though it was just one person. You've pissed me <laughs> off. Everyone's an enemy almost. And it's like I don't care who you are. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to prove to you why I'm the best in this, in this city as a triple jump athlete. And that was my mentality going into every meet it didn't matter if we were facing a school named Clarkston who was, like awful in our league. Uh, generally, they did have a few good jumpers, but like, it was just like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care. Like I, I don't care if you're the easiest score or the hardest score. I'm going to go out there and like score 70 on you, you know, in basketball terms. And it was just one of those things like going into the season as, you know, like somebody who is, you know, had victories, had losses and pretty bad losses my junior year to then go on to my senior year and come in with an injury just like I had in my junior year. But then also going through, you know, a lot of things relationship wise and uh, with my girlfriend at the time and, you know, just having like a lot of people come from my head, come from my throat in a way. Uh, a lot of people that, you know, in high school who were my peers, um, not close peers, but people who you didn't like me and were very vocal about it. And it was just one of those things, like everything felt like it was adding up and you were burying a quicksand all the time, but somehow you could continue to manage your way out. And it was just a nightmare almost. So regardless, we head into the season, um, pretty casual nonchalantly, you know, I kind of get out of that either jumper's knee and just continue moving forward as a, as an athlete and continue hitting PR after PR after PR. But I always wanted, like I said, I had broken the freshman triple jump record. The senior don't have a triple jump record because it's typically the school record. So that's what I was chasing. And I was chasing that school record for so long. It was 45-1 and a quarter inch. It was actually just 45-1. There was no quarter inch. But I, I'll mention a quarter inch after the fact. It was 45-1, right? For 45-1. Pretty far. Jerry Claridge, shout out to Jerry Claridge. 1996, he broke that record. It hadn't been broke for 23 years. And I was destined to be that guy to do that no matter what. I was going to be that guy. And, you know, with a lot of different variables and different things, it was the very first meet. We're at the Howard Dolphin Invitational over at West Valley, our rivals, where I actually broke the freshman triple jump record. Surprisingly, it was one of those days, you know, and you, you get to jump and hit 45.4. And it wasn't like a fantastic jump, just like my forty-two-one was it when I broke that, but you know, they measure it out and I'm like, wow, I've just done it. You know, like I've just broken everything that I've wanted to, to do. And so we go out through the season at like 45-4. And then it comes down to our district meet. I jump 45-5. And then the next jump right after that, I jump 45. So I jump 45 five and a half, and and then 45-6, like literally back-to-back jumps. And so I've not only broke the record once on the same track, but then twice out two jumps on the same track, but on two months completely separate. And then, you know, we head into regionals as per usual. Uh, and then we also head into state. And so, so where the story kind of gets somewhat confusing, bear with me, I'm going to try and explain it in a way that makes sense. So there was this guy, this entire season, we have like a whole, you know, catalog of athletes that are in your, in your, uh, classification. We're two way. And there was this guy named Nick Jenkins and he jumped like once at the beginning of the season, done pretty well. Didn't jump for the rest, like, another month because he had a hamstring injury. And he jumped, like, 48-10, which is by far more than I could have ever jumped at that time. But I, god damn, did I have the confidence of a chihuahua barking at this humongous wolf and this lion. I did not care. I was going to go out there and still try and beat him at state. And it was like a do-or-die, like, type scenario almost. And that's how I always thought about it. It was like I was going to beat this guy no matter what. Like I'd always see his name, and I, like I was number one in the state for a while, and then like somebody overtook me, and I was pissed off, and that only put fuel on the on the fire, right? But come to know about it, I didn't know that he had a hamstring injury, but what happened was at regionals, for their regionals, he had made it out, but the reigning state champion – Ryan Tavera did not make it out, and so like it's it's you know it's kind of like a catch twenty two. You know I'm glad that the reigning champ's not out who jumps forty six ten, but now I have this guy who jumps forty eight ten, and so and the story kind of gets muddled because um, it was just this random like it was like May twenty second, twenty nineteen. My dad had sent me a text and been like, "You need to refresh like the athletic dot net like." Uh, sheets like heat sheets and he says like Nick Jenkins is not jumping at state, and I'm just like what? And I was like, did you see when this was updated? He's like, it was updated two hours ago, and I literally probably crap my pants. <laughs> like, you know, you kind of get giddy because you're like, oh crap! Like now I'm gonna go win almost because I was like foresee. I, w- I was the guy. Like there was nobody close to like what I could jump at the time. But the sucky part is when somebody leaves, somebody comes back in. And who came back in was the reigning state champion, Ryan Tavera, who I knew was capable of jumping further than what I was, though it wasn't as far as Nick. I was still reluctant because I knew I could probably jump 46 over than I can jump 48, almost 49. But regardless, uh, he didn't jump well. He jumped like 42, like 10, like not even great. So he was in the first flight. Uh, and essentially, he, he had done the clap. So, you know, like when track athletes say, like, get the clap going, it technically gets faster as you go. And he had done that his very first jump, his best jump of the day uh, in prelims. And I don't like doing that. I like my rhythm. I like my routine. I don't like it when people do that. And so it was one of those things, you know, done well with the clap. And I, and I knew that. I knew that he had done well with the clap and didn't do any, anywhere remotely close to what he had done without it so as we head into finals um i was seated first so i was i was in first place um i was going to win if like everything stayed the same but as we continue to go i have a few good jumps like 44.9 like not too bad i kind of moved back up into first you know after you know like i kind of solidify myself in first and uh, throughout my prelims you know go into finals and first but the second competitor was brian tavera half an inch right behind me i was at 44.9. he was at 44 eight and a half and it comes down to our fifth and final jump so how it works again is you go from top eight make it out of 15 in this case and what happens is the eighth place goes first and then backwards so it goes backwards right so the furthest jumper goes last and so you keep that coordination all the way throughout. So it doesn't matter if somebody beats you and like jump four, they don't just magically get a different spot. And so this entire story goes down to two jumps. My fifth jump, which is the more important one in this case, I had scratched. I had scratched that jump, regardless of the mark, I had scratched it. I don't know what it was. But I knew that everyone else at this point has one more jump. There's nobody that goes after me once it's the final round, which is the sixth round in this case. And my oh my. Everyone does the clap because it's their final hurrah, It's their final jump as a collegiate a- or high school athlete. And guess who does the clap? Brian Tavera. And on the sixth and final jump, he jumps 45 1. And I didn't know what it was. They have a reader board at the end of the screen that they type in, but that's usually delayed. And I asked my coach, I'm like, what is it? Like I, and, he, and he points up in his hands. He's like, four, five, one. I'm like, okay. That's what I came into the meet with. And I know he has no more jumps. But the thing is, I only have one more jump. And I've jumped 45 and miraculously – I I trust my mark. I don't change it at all. I was I was running the risk of n- scratching again and losing the meat. I was like legit risking it by not moving. And so I don't move my mark. I don't remember if anyone told me to or not, my coach, because it was only me at state. But going throughout high school, being one of the taller long jumpers and being one of the shorter triple jumpers and, you know, being younger than anyone else, you know, that you're competing against and, you know, not having the marks against somebody who is, you know, more flaw, flawless at the sport and at this event than you, but somehow you still find a way to win. No matter if they've had better marks in the past, my coach has always told me anything can happen on any given day. And that was something that stuck with me. And still sticks with me because anything could happen any given day. And so the powerful moment in this entire process of not moving my mark, it's pouring down rain. It's not optimal to run in and jump in especially. It, it was surreal because running down, I, I took a god awful time back there just like mentally preparing my mark just like I was when I was a freshman trying to visualize what this jump's going to look like. It was just one of those things I I backed up like I normally did. I got my normal, you know, I did my normal gallop, penultimate steps in the beginning, my gathering steps, and I'm running, 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 jump off the board, jump into my second phase, jump into the sand, and I crash right into the sand and I get up and I've never celebrated in my life I don't do the like let's go or anything or anything of that like to hype myself up but this one time felt like it was the most appropriate time to do that because I felt that jump just leap and bound and land into that sand and I knew I had won. I just knew it. And so I got out of that sand and just threw it on the ground and said, let's go. And I just got out of the pit and just like hoped. And all hope was lost for a half second. I go back and they have the foot markers that are like the big red on this, on this long measuring tape. And I go back and I'm like, Cause it was further into the numbers and I was like, there's, I like, I didn't beat it, man. He flips the tape over and I see 45 he's on the North side of 45. He's deep into that 45. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've just done it. I've worked so long, dreamed about this moment for so long as a, as an athlete, you know, you can't take away a state title from anybody. You can't. And it was one of those moments, like it, it didn't hit me. It would, just felt like another meet. Like I stood on top of the podium, you know, congratulated everybody, me and Brian, you know, you know, he was the reigning state champion. He's had his moments. So he wasn't like too bitter as I can imagine some could be, you know, but I, I, I hugged the man said good shit. Apologize for the French, but it was just one of those moments that we just, we hugged it out. I looked at the mark and I was like, "Damn, I did it!" You know, and we go back. We we you know get called out to go to the medal ceremony. I stand on I stand on the podium, proud, and it just didn't hit me. It didn't hit me until I was graduating. And we do these uh, senior superlatives, uh, similar like accolades, not superlatives. We do these. Uh, what do you call it? yeah, senior or like senior accolades? So we talk about like everyone in the third in the, in in a, a third person. So they're not saying their name, but everyone graduating knows who they are. And so we say we have you know like a few all state soccer players, basketball players, football players, and then mine in the spring. I don't know if this was last because it was the biggest one because nobody else out of my graduating class had one state. So I don't know if it was because of that, as much as I would like to think of, but it it was one of the later ones regardless. It was the last thing that they mentioned, and it was just one of those things when you're sitting about to graduate in front of 2,000 people, and they mentioned we had a senior who broke a 23-year-old record and won a state title. It just, man, it was just one of those moments that you just dreamed of as an athlete, watching shows, watching, you know, different programs that have those athletes that just rock and you see it all the time. You always wish to be that one kid, you know, you're the five-year-old kid sitting watching the hockey game and just being, wow, I want to do that one day. And when you finally are that person who did that one day, it means a lot. It surely does. It's just one of those stories, underdog or not. <laughs> it's one of those stories that you're never going to forget. And I've told the story a handful of times. I don't think I've ever delivered it as much as I have now. <laughs> I'm a little emotional after saying that story because it does mean a lot to me kind of looking back at it. But that's my underdog story. It's one of those things Don't don't matter how tall, how skinny how big you are, if you're willing to put in the hard work, it doesn't matter how far the talent takes you. And I was willing to put in the hard work for four, six years of just grinding and perfecting this craft as a, as an athlete and chasing something that I've always wanted. And when it finally came time that that thing was accomplished, I didn't know what to do, and that's, that's just a story for another day, um, but it's one of those stories that I, I will live to tell for forever, but yeah, that's my underdog story. I know it kind of took a long time, but go good. I hope it meant a lot to you guys. <laughs>
2: inspiring that you know you had this whole journey of going from wanting to break school records eventually breaking the school record and then as a senior and then you know the the feelings that you get when you're in the bubble and then standing on the the platform receiving a medal and stuff you know like you said it's just a whole arc it's a whole arc of development and accomplishments and i think it's really great that you shared the story with us i think a lot of our viewers will be able to relate Mm -hmm.
0: i'm glad i'm glad Uh, (laughs) uh Man, I should have brought some tissue. I didn't know I was gonna. I was gonna. know I was gonna well up here. I didn't know, you know. California needs me right now. God dang, goodness sakes! But I mean, it was one of those stories like I'll be able to tell forever, and hope I'm able to at least express that inspiration and that story and impact onto anyone listening, because you just never know. That's the beauty about YouTube. That's the beauty about anything that we do as content creators. We never know who we are going to impact and how we're going to impact them and to what extent that, in- that impact looks like. So it's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing.
2: Sounds great. Eric, do you have anything more to say? I think I covered all my questions.
4: Yeah, basically.
2: Alrighty then. Sounds good. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it.
0: <laughs> ah, Thank you guys. i It's been a pleasure. Talking to you guys about stories that have, I haven't been able to share. And most importantly, uh, with you know, the help of you guys, at least hopefully this message of going confidently in the directions of your dreams uh, is resonating uh, across anybody who's listening right now. Uh, shout out to Eric and Devin uh, for inviting me on. Uh, great guys. They're on to something. So continue listening to them. Continue supporting them. And make sure you keep being you. <laughs> do what you oh, want, yeah, and- do not because you have to. <laughs> Make sure you guys give them an Apple review. It helps them reach more potential audience members uh, and as well as new guests. And exactly. also the message that you guys heard on today's podcast could potentially be reached out to more and more people by just leaving a review mm-hmm. on this podcast. So cool. shout out to you guys.